This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Today's lifestyle demands the best in wireless. And with Pulse Cellular, you have the best options available. Switch to Pulse Cellular for unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data. Coast-to-coast with no contracts, no credit checks, and no overage fees. One line for $65 or four lines for just $45 each, including hotspot, Wi-Fi calling, and 50 gigs per line. And for all you travelers, we got you covered in Canada and Mexico. Plus, text and data in over 210 countries worldwide. All with the best phones or bring your own that's pretty awesome get the best user experience on mobile at pulsecellular.com if you're a loser tune in and you'll be a winner it's the moranalytics podcast talking buffalo sports yankees wwe 80s music and pop culture and now here's your host patrick moran All right, podcast fans, what's going on? How you doing? Welcome to episode 156 of the Moranalytics podcast, presented today by our friends over at Pulse Cellular. Today is Friday, September 27th, 2019. Thank you, as always, for listening and for downloading. If you have not yet subscribed to this future award-winning podcast, please go ahead and do so right now. Coming up on today's episode, I got two segments for you. My featured guest today will be New England Patriots beat writer for NESN in Boston. Zach Cox will join the pod. Obviously, we got plenty to talk about as a surprising, at least to most people, surprising 3-0 Buffalo Bills take on the not the least bit on earth surprising 3-0 New England Patriots. And of course, I'll have plenty of perspective and information from the New England side of things, from Zach, who covers the big, bad, evil empire that is the New England Patriots. We talk Tom Brady's refusal to fall off a cliff, the 11-day Antonio Brown circus in New England, Sony Michelle's early season woes, that banged-up offensive line, which I think provides Buffalo with their best matchup on Sunday, an underrated Patriots defense that's one of the best in the league, including arguably the best cornerback in football right now, a guy that Buffalo Bills fans know all too well. I'll also nab a prediction from Zach on Sunday. And by the way, before Zach and I get to some Bills versus Patriots preview stuff, in keeping with the tradition of having sports media guests on this podcast, I give fans of Zach a chance to get to learn plenty more about him, talk about his life and his career beyond just covering the Patriots. It's great stuff. I definitely enjoyed having a chat with Zach. He's a really cool dude. Also on today's episode, I have a full movie review of Rambo, Last Blood. The review comes courtesy of Sean Chandler from the very popular Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. I'll talk about him later on in the show. So two really good segments coming up. Real quick, hopefully my voice is suitable enough for you today. I've had 
a really, really rough week. I've been I've been living with COPD for the past seven years or so, which most of the time is pretty manageable. Nothing that some medication in my body and a little noise gate in my audio gear can't handle. You don't hear it, but I caught a really bad chest cold earlier this week, which really, and for people like me, when you have COPD, it, it makes it a lot worse. I was fine early Monday evening. In fact, my son and I went into a hot tub in our complex and I was perfectly fine. And about an hour or so later, I started getting a sore throat. And by the time I went to bed, it was getting worse. I felt myself starting to get sick and Tuesday just was worse. It it progressed. It got so bad that by Tuesday night, I ended up in the ER for five hours getting medications and a couple breathing treatments. So been on the men for a few days. I definitely feel a lot better as I tape this on Thursday, but still not quite right. Regardless, the podcast must go on and I'm a warrior. I'm a hero. I'm a tough guy. I'm fighting through it. This is my Jordan flu podcast today. So anyway, on to the business at hand. Let's see. And I'm trying not to cough because if I cough, it's going to get really bad and painful. My rib cage killing me. But anyway, let's get after it. Here it is. My chat and subsequent Bills Patriot preview with Zach Cox of NESN, followed by Sean Chandler's movie review of Rambo Last Blood. Let's do it. All right, my guest today is a New England Patriots beat writer at NESN in Boston. He's been at NESN for nearly seven years now. I'm talking about Zach Cox. What's going on, Zach? How you doing, buddy? Yeah, seven years. I, I hadn't even, I guess I hadn't even realized that. That's, that's pretty crazy. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm happy to come on. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you on. Actually, you're the second person from NESN in Boston that I've had on the podcast. I also had... Courtney Cox on before. She was awesome. I loved her. This is primarily, of course, a Buffalo sports podcast, but especially given this week, got to have Boston represented as well, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I've seen you've had a couple uh, couple Boston-based folks on here before, so glad we can provide some, uh, some New England perspective. Yeah, definitely. And obviously, we're going to be talking about the Bills Patriots, and we'll get to that soon. But first, before that, I kind of want to go back to the beginning a little bit. What I like to do when I have a sports media person on is give fans a chance to know a little bit more about you. Perhaps they only know you from your work and maybe they don't know anything about you. So we'll go that route, man. You're from Wentham, Massachusetts. What was it like for you growing up there? Uh, it was great. It was, um, it was a lot of fun. I was, I was actually, I was born in, in New York city, but I moved to, to Massachusetts when I was uh, two, two and a half. So I spent most of my, most of my life in Massachusetts. Uh, Rentham is, is the town over from Fox Barrel. So I grew up about three or four miles away from from first Foxborough Stadium and, and then Gillette Stadium. And it was great. I, I love Massachusetts. I love this whole area. I've been here probably about 90%, 80% of my life. So it's it's fantastic. It was a it was a great place to grow up. What were a few of your very first vivid sports memories that you can remember as a young child? I remember so I was I caught the tail end of the kind of Boston sports never win anything era. Uh, I, I remember the the first the, the Drew Bledsoe Super Bowl. I think I was five when that happened. Uh, I was ten when when the Patriots. Uh, no, I was eleven when the Patriots finally won their first Super Bowl. But I, I definitely caught some of the uh, not nearly as much as, as my my stepdad and some of my uncles who kind of lived through the entire uh, the entire cold spell there from from '86 all the way to, to 2001. But I, I remember some some 
Red Sox heartbreak in the playoffs uh, a couple years. And uh, I think it was 99, 2003. And, but I, it's, it was a pretty, uh, a pretty charmed upbringing for a, a, a kid who grew up as, as a really big Boston sports fan. And you were an athlete too, as a kid, I know in high school, you played football, also ran track. So sports have always been a pretty big part of your life, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I played football from when I was five through the end of high school, played a lot of baseball growing up, uh, ran track in, in high school, uh, ended up, I picked up rugby when I got to college and I've been playing that ever since. Uh, so yeah, sports have always been a, a pretty big focus of my life, which is probably why I, I ended up in the, the industry that I am. Was it in high school where you can remember first really getting that sports journalism itch, so to speak, and thinking that maybe this is something that you want to grow up and have a career in? Was it at high school? Was it before that? Was it after that? It was It was a little bit before. Uh, I actually I wrote for my school newspaper in like fourth grade, I think. I was the uh, the sports reporter for our elementary school newspaper, which oh, wow. meant I wrote, I wrote like a, a 50-word story once every couple weeks. But, uh, but no, it was, it was high school when I, when I really kind of got into it, um, a little bit more seriously, we had a really good, uh, TV production program at my high school, uh, King Philip high school in, uh, in Rentham, where we basically had a, um, a student produced news show that ran every, every Friday. And, and I was part of the, the team that put together the sports reports for that. Um, so I basically got to do a kind of a, a very basic level, but, but I got to do a lot of the sort of sports reporting um, and sports production stuff that a lot of people don't really get to experience until college or, or after college. And then at, that really put me on the kind of track that I am. I, I ended up going a little bit more toward the, the writing side once I got to college, but, but I definitely started off as uh, wanting to be the, the, the sports center anchor and wanted to be um, on TV talking about sports. And that all really started uh, back in high school. Before we talk about college, I wanted to ask you this as a teenager, I'm going to assume that you were a good writer, but did you actually like writing when you were younger? I know I've talked to a lot of sports writers out there who didn't necessarily even like writing. They just found out that they were really good at it. And then obviously they would come to love it. It would become their career and all. But a lot of times when they were first starting out, like they hated actually writing. Did you enjoy writing when you were younger or, did, or was it just something that you were good at? No, I absolutely hated it. I was, I was really not a fan of writing, even kind of all the way through high school. I just kind of, I remember having to write the five paragraph essays and, and all of those things back in, uh, back in middle school, elementary school, high school. And I know I really didn't like it back then. I just didn't like the process. And I still don't really like writing unless I'm interested in what I'm writing about, yeah. uh, which works out well for me because I'm, I'm very interested in football and very interested in sports. So everything that I, that I write is kind of things that I am, that, that I'm genuinely interested in, which keeps it exciting. And, and I, I love what I'm doing now, but yeah, it definitely took, uh, definitely took a little while for me to be, to, to sort of come around to the fact that, yeah, I, I am reasonably good at this and and it is something that kind of, can allow me to stay involved in sports and, and kind of have sports be my, my profession while not being nearly good enough to actually continue playing sports at, at any kind of high level. So once I, I began kind of writing sports specific uh, stories and articles, uh, which was kind of a little bit in high school, but mostly in, in college, that's when I really co sort of shifted to okay, this is something that I actually can see myself doing as a living. You feel like it's a tough pill to swallow for a youngster when you're 
you really like athletics and you're good at it, but you realize that whether you're 10 years old or 15, 20, 22, whatever it may be that you might like sports, but you're not going to make a living playing them. Oh yeah. Fortunately for me, I, I found out relatively early that that probably wasn't going to be the, uh, wasn't going to be the the path that I would take in life. But, but yeah, it's, it's, it's tough. I mean, I've just been fortunate enough that I can continue to, I never really had that lull where I didn't have any sports in my life because as soon as I sort of wound down as, as actually being someone who played sports actively, uh, that's when sort of I picked up um, and, and began my career as someone who wrote about and talked about sports for, for a living. So I've, it's, you kind of live in, in fantasy land sometimes when you do the, the work that we do and just get to talk about and watch and, and listen to and discuss sports all day. But yeah, no, it was definitely, I can't imagine where I would be if, if sports kind of weren't some part of my life still. You went to the University of New Hampshire for college. Why did you decide to go there? And were there other schools that you considered going to or maybe that you wanted to go to? Or was it New Hampshire all the way for you? No, it wasn't New Hampshire all the way. Um, I, I wanted to stay kind of in the general New England area. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I looked at Syracuse a little bit because, like I said, I wanted to go into to broadcast journalism right. initially, and they're one of the best programs for that. Um, but so I applied there. I applied to a bunch of places around kind of the New, New England, New York area. Uh, it ended up coming down to between UNH and, and UMass for me. Um, uh, I love UMass too, but UNH just kind of, I don't, I don't know what it was. Something about it appealed to me. Uh, it's, it's only about an hour and a half from my hometown too. So I ended up choosing there and, and it was a great decision. I had a fantastic time at UNH. I mean, sometimes I still kind of regret not going to like a, a big time SEC school or something like that and being able to kind of experience that culture because I, I love college sports and I love the whole kind of college sports vibe, which is something we don't really get up here in New England, even with, I say BC is probably the the pinnacle of that. And even that's pretty, uh, I guess, weak in terms of, I mean, compared to some of the bigger schools. So would have been cool to be able to experience some of that, but, but no, I, I don't really have any regrets. I had a great time up there in Durham. You joined a school newspaper, obviously that would come on, go on to be your career. What, what were some of the experiences working on a college newspaper that you can remember that kind of helped shape you going forward? It was great. It was, it was a lot of fun working there. That's where I kind of, because um, when I first got to UNH, I wanted to continue my um, sort of broadcast, uh, sports broadcaster type um, career path. Uh, so I, I looked into joining the the student TV station we had up there and it really wasn't for me. I don't know, the, the setup up there was just, it was kind of less professional than what I had in high school, as, as weird as that might may sound. Hmm. Uh, it was just, a lot of it was just kind of, people would rent cameras and go out and just film random videos with their friends and then they would broadcast them on, on the student TV station, which was cool. I mean, a lot of people had a lot of fun with that, but wasn't really for me. So I, I ended up um, hooking up with the school newspaper there. Uh, I did a lot of editing there. I was a sports editor for, for two years, the managing editor for one year, um, covered, covered a lot of hockey. Hockey is, is kind of the number one uh, sport up there yeah. at UNH. We, we had a very good team when I was up there. They've sort of fallen off a little bit in the last couple of years, but covered a lot of hockey, covered a lot of football, covered some lacrosse and some field hockey and all sorts of the random stuff that you, that you do when you uh, when you work at a college newspaper. But but it was great. I mean, I I have awesome memories of of being there. We we would have we would put up the paper twice a week, so there would be 
two nights a week where we're in the newspaper office until two, three in the morning, kind of putting the paper together. And it was the, the cool part about it was what it was. It was so it was completely student run. Basically, we had a, a faculty advisor, but they were just kind of there to provide guidance if anybody needed it. It was it was really cool to be able to have this group of seven, eight, nine uh, kids, essentially. We were 18, 19, 20 years old putting together this this entire newspaper and we got to cover a lot of uh really cool and really interesting stories while i was there and i'm still great friends with a lot of the people that i i worked there during that time and, and a lot of those people are are doing a lot of very cool things around the country now so it was it was a fantastic experience it was one of the best experiences i had uh, while i was up there at unh now i know while you were there you interned at nesn and then in 2013 you ended up getting hired there how did that opportunity come about, and what was that process like getting hired by NESN after school? Yeah, I was I was really fortunate to um to be able to to intern for Nesson when I was um when I, this that was between my junior year and my senior year. Um, I I just applied and and I was fortunate enough to get an interview and and apparently they liked liked what they saw and 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 I got the internship. It was it, it was a tough summer because as anybody who works in in sports media knows a lot of the internships are unpaid. My internship was unpaid. Um, 24 hours a week had to work. A, uh, I was busing at Red Robin while I was doing it. So I was working basically 65 hours a week and getting paid for about 30 of them Yeah, and kind of driving back and forth and, and doing all that stuff. And it was, it was rough in, in the moment as a, a 21 year old, but, but the good thing about our internship program um, was that when I was an intern, I basically did the exact same work as entry-level employees, uh, as we, we called them assistant editors in the past. They're called content producers now. I would basically do, I wasn't just kind of getting coffee and doing random stuff like that. I was writing five, six, seven stories per shift. And the only difference between me and, and the actual uh, employees or the actual writers was that they just published straight to the site. And I had to get um, sort of, my our stories had to be edited our intern stories had to be edited before they could go live, but it got me a ton of experience. I think I wrote something like a hundred stories in that summer. Yeah. And then, and then I ended up applying for a, an actual job, um, after college, uh, like midway through my senior year, ended up getting down toward the end of the application process. And then I didn't get it. I think I was the, one of all the last two, three or four people in that process. So, uh, after college, I ended up going to New York for six months. Uh, I worked for Major League Baseball, writing about um, uh, writing for MLB.com about minor league stuff. Um, I would basically just cover cover minor league games across the country from from their office in in Manhattan, um, and just kind of that's that was my first real actual job in sports media. Um, and then after I was there for about six months, I got a call from Nesson. They said they had another opening coming. Uh, another spot opening up. Uh, so they, they asked if I was interested in, interested in interviewing and I was, so I came back interviewed for that. And I've been at Nesson ever since this was, uh, January, 2013, I believe. Yeah. January, 2013. Uh, and I've, I've been there ever since just kind of moving my way up the ranks, so to speak. Well, you spent your time paying some dues in the sports department, but by 2014 slash 15, you found yourself covering the Boston Celtics beat. That was your first experience ever covering a professional beat, correct? Yeah, it was. Well, that was how uh, did you like covering the NBA? Was that fun for you? It was cool. Yeah, I liked it a lot. It was it was kind of funny because I guess basketball is probably my the the big four sport that I'm least knowledgeable mm -hmm. about. 
Um, or at least I was at the time. I, I've, I've always been a basketball fan. I've always liked watching basketball, but the intricacies of it, I, I definitely wasn't nearly as knowledgeable as I was about football or baseball or hockey, but the opening came up and they basically just asked me, do, do you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. As before that, I'd spent the previous two years kind of working desk, desk shifts at Nesson, just cruising around the internet, writing about whatever sports stories happened to, uh, happened to pop up. And then the chance to be kind of at the Celtics facility every day and, and following a team on a day-to-day basis. Like it definitely took some, some getting used to it, it was a, an adjustment process that probably took a couple months for me to feel totally comfortable in that new role. But it was, it was a great way to break in and it was a great team to break into with. That was the, um, as you mentioned, that was the, the year they went to the playoffs. The first time they went to the playoffs under, um, under Brad Stevens, uh, they had, they signed Isaiah Thomas or traded for Isaiah Thomas midway through that year. Yeah. They had a million guys just kind of coming in and out of their roster. Um, but they had a lot of really, really good guys to deal with. Uh, Evan Turner, who played for the Celtics then, is still one of my favorite players that I've ever covered just from a, a media standpoint. He was, he was so kind of gracious with his time with us, especially with me kind of being a, a young reporter who really didn't know what he was doing a lot of the time. And, and it was cool. They, they went to the playoffs that year and, and provided a lot of, uh, uh, I think they, they, they were considerably better that year than a lot of people were expecting them to be. So that was, that was definitely a cool experience to cover from, uh, from a guy who was sort of experiencing it for the first time. And then the next year you covered the Bruins, same question. What were you feeling covering a hockey beat as opposed to basketball? By the way, Boston, they missed the playoffs a year. That's the only time in your I don't want to say young career, but because you've been doing it for a while, but it's the only time in your career you haven't covered a playoff team. I feel so bad for you, especially being <laughs> in Buffalo where teams never make the playoffs. But in all seriousness, you covered the hockey beat for a year. What was that like? Oh, uh, no, that was, a, um, that was probably the, the, it was sort of an, the inverse of, of the Celtics the year before where everybody didn't really know what to expect from them. Uh, then they ended up kind of surprising some people and finishing better than, than they did. The Bruins, it was sort of the opposite. They they had made the playoffs in know, the previous like nine years or something like that. They were a couple of years off of a, uh, a cup final appearance when they lost to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, so expectations were reasonably high for them. And then it just was a disappointing season for them. They, they kind of fell apart down the stretch. I think they lost something like, like six of their last seven games or something like that. They got blown out in there in their season finale and that, and they ended up missing the playoffs for that. They got crushed in the, uh, in the winter classic, which was at Gillette stadium that year too. That was a big disappointment for them, but it was, it was cool kind of shifting from, um, from hockey, from basketball to hockey, which, which I had a little bit of a, a better kind of knowledge base on after, after covering UNH for, for many years when I was up there at school, it was pretty similar. Um, the, the like schedule wise and, and coverage wise basketball and, and hockey are, are very similar. They, they play the, the same amount of games. They practice about the same amount. So I kind of was able to continue the, the routine that I had established the year before and just sort of expand it um, now kind of with, with more experience under my belt. But, but that was, that season, that season was a lot of fun. I, I, I've always been a huge hockey fan. So it was, it was really good to be able to kind of fully ingrain myself in that, that culture for, for a year. And I had a lot of fun with it. The routine is pretty much the same, but you had to pick one between hockey and basketball. What do you think is a little more exciting to cover as a beat? I mean, I, I liked the the hockey one better. I don't know if that's because I just naturally, I, I'm more of a fan of hockey than I am of basketball. 
Um, I, I think it depends on on which your just kind of which which sport you pref- you prefer, honestly. Yeah. Because well, as I mentioned, in many ways they are very similar in just the way that the way that you cover the sport. I will say that that hockey players in general are probably the the best players with the media as a whole. Um, they they have a reputation of just being very kind of down to earth guys that are that that'll give you kind of a, a pretty straight answer a lot of the time. And that is what I, what I found with the, with the Bruins and with the other teams that would come in to play them during that season. It was, it, it was kind of refreshing to talk to a lot of those guys. Um, and just, just with the, the sort of mindset, the, the quote unquote hockey mindset is, is usually, usually pretty favorable for, for, uh, interviews and, and media members and stuff like that. So it was, it, yeah, it, it, it's all about personal preference. I would say when, when you're comparing basketball and hockey. Okay, so in 2016, you started covering the Patriots, and now you're in your fourth season doing that. You literally don't know what it's like to cover an NFL team beat right now and not have an end in that team going to the Super Bowl. You know, that's pretty incredible, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it is pretty wild. Um, they, they've made the Super Bowl in all three years that I've been on the beat. Uh, it, it's funny, we actually have a small group. It's, it's myself. Uh, Nora Princiati from from the Boston Globe, uh, Henry McKenna from Patriots Wire, and then Landon Roberts, Joe Tooney, Jonathan Jones, and Ted Karras on the actual team itself. We've all been either covering or playing for the Patriots for for four years now, and have had every season end in a Super Bowl, uh, which which is remarkable. I mean, it's it's very fun to cover a team that, for one, is just so good all the time. It's it's it presents kind of endless endless possibilities for 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 story ideas and just for kind of angles that that probably wouldn't be as as prominent on other teams it, it's nice to to cover a team that everybody's very interested in too <laughs> i mean i don't know what the uh what, what kind of bills versus sabers looks like up in buffalo but here it's basically patriots and then a huge gap before even even the red Sox and then the the browns yeah, and the celtics same it's 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 cool to be able to be kind of so so firmly in the just just to be covering a sport that that everybody is interested in 24/7. I mean, I can we can write random stories in about the Patriots in April and and people will eat them up. They're just so kind of interested in in this team. That I mean, the Patriots do keep it interesting for me, surely. Uh they yeah. as everybody around the league knows, it's it you, you really can't go even a couple months without some sort of controversy slash storyline slash scandal slash something breaking. Um, so there's a lot of kind of off the field stuff that we have to, um, that will, we have to kind of dedicate some time to when, when I started the flake gate was still kind of ongoing. Um, then you obviously have recently the Antonio Brown stuff and the, the Robert Kraft situation over the summer. Um, so there's, there's a lot of, a lot of that to do, but, um, but I mean, football wise itself, you, you, you couldn't really ask, ask for a better, um, a better situation to be in as, as a writer covering a team. Yeah, no doubt about that. We'll talk about the bills and the Patriots in just a second here. Got one more sports media thing for you. Not going to ask that standard because there are younger people who listen to this that want to get into sports journalism. I'm not going to do the whole, what's your advice for them? That's kind of standard, but I will ask you this. For somebody who is interested, what would you say to them? Probably your favorite and then your least favorite thing about being a beat reporter or working in this business altogether, because it's not always 
fun and games. You can be the biggest sports fan and you know this as well as anybody, but it's not always fun and games either doing this job. So what's your favorite thing and the least, maybe not least favorite thing, but sometimes the hardest thing about being a sports writer? Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start with the second one. The hardest is definitely just the time commitment. Um, I, I don't know if a lot of people recognize just how much time you have to dedicate to this job. Uh, I mean, I basically have to be on call essentially almost 24 seven. Yeah, it's like being a doctor. Um, yeah. It, it's, I don't want to compare myself to that, but it's, it's a lot of, it, it's just a lot of time. I mean, you can, you can love sports and I think you need to love sports to be in this profession, but just loving sports isn't really enough um, when you're being asked to kind of put in as much time and as much work as, as we are, you have to also be kind of just willing to do, willing to do whatever, willing to be constantly available, which, which makes it tough with kind of personal life and, and life outside of work. It's, it can be tough to balance sometimes. I will say that football is probably easier in that department than a lot of other sports. I I couldn't imagine covering baseball for a full-time job for a decade. I mean, they're, those guys are on the road basically all summer and working every single night. And that's, I I did some of that. I mean, I've covered the Red Sox before and it's, it's similar when you're with basketball and, and hockey. That's, that's a lot of kind of nights, a lot of travel, a lot of that kind of stuff. Football's better in that regard where during the week you're essentially working a, a regular person schedule with practice and media availability and whatnot. And then you're, you're working the game obviously on Sunday, but you'd probably be watching the game anyway. Uh, it's, so it, it is a big time commitment and it's, it's something that you really need to, to love, to, to want to do. Cause it also, it's, it's an industry where you, you really don't make that much money when you're first starting out. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned that I was an unpaid intern for, uh, for Nesson when I started there, it's, it took a couple years to even sort of earn a, a reasonably livable wage doing this job, which is, is something that you're going to find basically anywhere in, in sports media. So you've got to be willing to put in the work and, and put in the time and be willing to kind of wait and grind a little bit to, to sort of get to a point where you can be, be secure in that regard. But I mean, the best part is just, I, I get to watch sports for a living. I get to be around sports for a living. I get to write about sports for a living. It's, it's things that I would be doing in my free time if I had another job. And the fact that my hobby is basically my, my profession, what I'm, what I'm paid to do. It's, I I couldn't ask for more than that. I mean, as, as much kind of, we, we gripe about random things about, about working on the beat and and working in this job as, as everybody does, I'm sure nobody is kind of a hundred percent happy with every single aspect of their job, but the positives for me far, far, far outweigh any of the, the kind of, I don't even want to call them negatives, but any of the sort of difficulties that, that we have to go through, it's, I, I, I honestly couldn't be happier with, with kind of the profession that I chose. How much of a adjustment is it for a younger sports journalist who's covering a professional team to go from growing up watching superstars like Tom Brady to suddenly being in the locker room with them, speaking with guys like this, covering them, making a living doing this? How big of an adjustment was that for you? Yeah, it, it, honestly, weirdly enough, it wasn't as much of an adjustment as I thought it was going to be. Uh, I, I don't know why that was because I mean, yeah, I, I did grow up in Massachusetts. I, I wasn't a Boston sports fan, but I think you just, if, if you're serious about your job and you're serious about this profession, that just kind of, it, it wipes out of your mind when, when you're, when you're working. And even when you're just covering, when you're covering a team, you're, you're not a fan of the team. I, I don't even know. It wasn't even something that I had to kind of consciously do. Um, it just sort of, 
it's it's my job now and that's that's what that's what i do there have been a couple moments that i've just had to kind of sit back and be like man i can't believe i'm here right now the first one i remember i covered derek jeter's last game in last game which was at fenway park or is either his last game ever or his last game at fenway park and he had a, had this big press conference afterwards and i've never even been a yankees fan but i remember sitting in that press conference being like man i'm like that's derek jeter right there and i'm i just witnessed his kind of a a history making moment. Sure. Um, and I had to kind of just like sit back and be like, man, this is my, my job is crazy sometimes. And I guess I got that same kind of feeling when I was, uh, when I worked my first Super Bowl. not even for, for about the team that was playing in it, but just the fact that I was like, I'm, I'm here at the Super Bowl, working the Super Bowl, about to write about the Super Bowl, And it ended up turning out to be one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time. That was the the one in Houston against the uh, against the Atlanta Atlanta Falcons with the big comeback and, and the Edelman catch and all that stuff. But there, there have been a couple moments where it's been I've never been like starstruck really, but there have been some moments where I just kind of the the gravity and and the sort of the I don't know how it's I've just been sat back and being like this is this is cool this is a really cool thing to do and and I'm getting to do it and I'm very fortunate. Yeah, for sure. And by the way, that Jeter press conference that was his last game ever. They finished yeah, off. I remember that. I'm a Yankees guy. Yeah. So yeah, they finished off, but he finished off his career in Boston, which I thought was pretty cool. All right. Let's spend a couple of minutes talking Bill's Patriots here. Listen for New England. It's a regular season game. It's one of 16 for the Buffalo Bills. It's so much more. This is Christmas. This is everything to Buffalo. It always is when they play New England. And obviously historically, anyway, they always fall short, but so New England's three and all this year. That surprises nobody. The bills are three and all. I think that surprises many people do you get the vibe around the Patriots locker room right now that they think the Buffalo Bills are legitimate and do you personally think the Buffalo Bills are legitimate now being three and oh it's easy to say yes sure they are but critics will say well you know what they beat the Jets the Giants and the Bengals that's nothing what are your thoughts right now and what's the vibe that you're getting about the Patriots when it comes to the Bills well one thing that the Patriots do very well is kind of respecting their opponent or at least giving the impression that they're respecting their opponent. Uh, you'll very rarely hear anything other than universal praise for, sure. for any, any opponent that the Patriots are playing. Um, Bill Belichick spent the last two weeks basically saying that the, the dolphins and jets were, were two very, very good teams that could easily beat the Patriots. And obviously you saw what happened. Both of those teams lost right. by yeah. about uh, 20 or 30 points. And it's been the same, obviously this week with the bills. I do think the bills are significantly better than anybody that the Patriots have played so far this season. I don't yet know if they're for real. I think we're going to learn a lot about that this weekend, just with, even if they don't beat the Patriots, if they, they keep this game close, I think that you can start talking about them as, as a potential kind of wild card candidate uh, for, for a playoff spot this season. And I, I like what the bills have, have put together so far. Their defense is obviously uh, one of the better defenses in the league. I think Josh Allen's playing a lot better this season than he, than he was as a rookie. I know he still has some, uh, some kind of freak out tendencies where, where he gets under pressure and just throws a, a desperation pass into, into traffic. But I like the way that he's played so far this season. I think his running ability could give the Patriots some issues especially since they've played three pretty uh, immobile quarterbacks this season and have been able to sort of just sprint after him and, and, and bring him down in the backfield. You can't really do that with Josh Allen because he's got the, that mobility to kind of move around and make plays. But I don't know. I think this is, this is a much more interesting game now than I thought it was going to be. 
uh, early in the season, or I mean, before the season rather. Even though the Bills always do keep it relatively close with the Patriots, at least they did last year. Yeah, I mean, the Patriots won both of those games. I guess you could say they won them easily, but they they only scored. I think it was 23, 25 points in those two games. Um, and and one of those games was a game where the Bills had, I believe, who was it, Derek Anderson at quarterback, the the first game that they played up yeah. there. Um, so I, I think this will be a close game. I'm I'm not expecting another uh, another kind of four touchdown beatdown like they've been giving out to teams uh, this season. But I, I think it's going to be a, a close matchup and a, a very interesting game. When it comes to, you mentioned him earlier, Antonio Brown, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you to comment on what that was like, his short time with the team as a reporter, just in general, the craziness that was involved with all that, that had to be a crazy time for you. Yeah, yeah, it was a while. It was a wild uh, week and a half. It, it felt like it lasted about two or three months. Even though he was only here for 11 days. And I don't know, just the shift. Cause it happened to, it was the day after he officially signed where the, the whole lawsuit um, news broke. And then it sort of, excuse me, shifted that entire conversation. Cause at first it was, all right, this is a classic Patriots guy, a guy that has acted like a knucklehead in his previous stops, but he's going to come to new England and, sort of get back on the on the right path and end up catching a hundred hundred balls for for a thousand yards and ten touchdowns this season. Then the uh, the sexual assault allegations come out and it really colors this whole thing in a different light. And it kind of took over the entire news cycle for really a week and a half um down here. And I think you you got the sense as it went on and and more kind of details were coming out and, and additional allegations were coming out that this is a kind of a time bomb. This is not a situation that's going to sort of be swept under the rug and, and kind of allow him to, to continue to play here without controversy. It was really dominating everything up here for, for that week and a half. And then I think once, once the news came out um, about him sending those text messages to uh, his, his accuser, the, um, the artist that was mentioned in, in the sports illustrated piece, really good sports illustrated piece by, by Robert Klemko that was kind of the final straw there. I, I just, cause that, that was the one thing too, that happened while he was a Patriots player. And according to reports that actually happened in the Patriots locker room, or at least in the Patriots facility was when, where he sent those texts. So at, at that point, I, I think Robert Kraft was reached the point where they could no longer sort of say that, Oh, well, all this stuff happened in the past and, and we're sort of reforming him now at that point, it was clear that, that Antonio Brown, it hasn't really changed. I mean, regardless of whether all these allegations are still allegations. So even if all of those things are untrue, just the pattern of behavior that, that he's shown just made him too, too volatile and too controversial for this team. And, and they ended up cutting ties with him. It's, I think it was a worthy gamble initially um, before all of this, uh, all of this additional off the field stuff came out. Um, but yeah, it obviously uh, didn't last long. And, and the Patriots are now back to, uh, operating with basically the offense that they had before, uh, which is still a, a pretty darn good offense. So it's, yeah, I think we're going to look back on this in a couple of years and be like, man, I remember that, that crazy week and a half where Antonio Brown was here. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, it, it was a wild week to say the least. Yeah, no doubt about it. And yeah, the offense is still going pretty well. You know, I'm a numbers guy. I like to look at stats and some stats amaze me more than others, but probably more than any stat I think I've ever seen is Tom Brady. 30 and three lifetime against the Buffalo Bills, 30 and three, 69 touchdowns, 24 interceptions. And he's off to another great start this year. You know, everybody keeps thinking this guy's going to eventually fall off a cliff. Buffalo Bills fans, 
fans around the NFL, but especially Buffalo Bills fans, they want this guy to fall off a cliff more than anybody. Just not happening. He's already averaging, what, 303 yards per game in the air, seven touchdown passes without an interception. How does this guy continue to do what he does at the age of, what, 42 now? Yeah, it's it's pretty remarkable, right? And I, I like the stat that that Brady has more wins in Buffalo than any Bills quarterback in the since, last what, like since, since two thousand one. Yeah, since two thousand one, it's crazy. Which that's that's an incredible stat. But no, Brady has looked he's looked like Tom Brady so far this season. He you wouldn't even know that he is. Uh, you, you would think that he was thirty three out there, not forty two. Uh, and and this comes after a season where he showed a little bit. I don't, I don't want to call it decline because people in New England freak out if you mention the word decline around Tom Brady, but he was not as productive last season as he had been in previous years, especially the year before uh, where he ended up being the, the NFL MVP. His numbers dropped a little bit last year. He had some weird kind of uncharacteristic mistakes late in last season. But so far this year, he's he you really can't say much uh, – it's hard to find a flaw in his game so far this year. And, and that's operating with in an offense that doesn't have Rob Gronkowski and basically doesn't have much of a tight end presence at all. They're, they're only two tight ends right now are Ryan Izzo and Matt Lacoste, who have both made a couple of plays, but they're nowhere near kind of Gronk level, uh, Gronk level receiving talents or blocking talents. So the fact that he's been able to do that with an offense that looks kind of radically different than, than what he's, played in for the last decade basically is is pretty incredible and and i with with the receivers that he has around him and the 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 patriots new look new look offensive line is playing holding up reasonably well at least in pass protection the the running game is has had uh, a fair number of issues this season that's something that the patriots are are really looking to correct but yeah tom tom brady looks like tom brady and he will fall off a cliff eventually or he'll at least stop looking like Tom Brady eventually, but he's 42 and it hasn't happened yet. One of the few Patriots that's not off to a good start, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit, Sony Michelle, he's only averaging like not even two and a half yards per carry. What's been the problem with him? And I imagine that Sunday they're probably going to get to try and get this guy going in Buffalo. Yeah, it's it's been a rough season for, for Sony so far. He's the kind of guy that he really benefited from the Patriots very good offensive line last season because the Patriots late, late last season, I believe it was actually, it was right before the the second bills game last year where they ended up running for something like 270 yards. Then they made a conscious shift to kind of going away from, from so much of a pass heavy offense to saying, all right, we're just going to pound the ball. We're going to do some just power running. And that really like it really persisted uh, throughout, uh, throughout the Super Bowl. Uh, Sony Michelle was fantastic late in the season. He ran for 330, 336 yards and six touchdowns in the playoffs, but a lot of the kind of key members of that, that sort of rushing Renaissance last year are gone. Uh, I mentioned Rob Gronkowski's gone. Trent Brown, the left tackle is gone. Dwayne Allen, the other tight end who was a, a very good blocker. He's gone. Uh, starting center, David Andrews is on injured reserve. Uh, Trent Brown's replacement, Isaiah Wynn, he's now on injured reserve as well. And they just placed James Devlin, their fullback, on injured reserve this week. So, so many of those kind of key parts of that running game are not here anymore. And I think it's, it's showing because Sonny Michelle, he was a first round draft pick last year. He's obviously a very talented player, but he's not really a guy that can make yards on his own. Or at least he hasn't proven to be that type of guy since he's been with the Patriots. He's the type of runner where if he sees the hole, if the hole is kind of presented to him from his blocking, he'll hit it and he'll, he'll create yardage that way. And he's, he's very good at sort of 
reading his blocks and finding those holes. But so far, the holes haven't really been there, and he hasn't been able to kind of elevate his game to to the fact to the point where he's sort of making some offense happen for himself. And and I think that's that's been borne out in in his stats so far. I would expect him to improve at at some point in the coming weeks. I don't think he's going to average two point four yards for carry over this entire season, but not having James Devlin now. And with, with all those kind of absences that I just mentioned, I think the Patriots are going to have to get a little bit creative and, or at least kind of alter their plan a little bit. Uh, if they want to get, get Sony Michelle going um, in the coming weeks here. Would you agree that Buffalo's best chance to win Sunday? I mean, it's an age old formula. The key to being the Patriots is getting after Tom Brady and putting pressure on him. A lot easier said than done, of course, but I feel like, if there's one matchup that favors the Bills, it might be that defensive line and the linebackers, the front seven of Buffalo against the New England offensive line, which you kind of alluded on a little bit, is far from healthy. Would you agree that that's probably Buffalo's best chance to win? That's the one matchup that probably favors Buffalo? Yeah, I, w- I would agree with that. Um, I, I think the Bills do have a lot of talent um, up front in their, in their front seven. And the Patriots offensive line, which has looked pretty good in pass protection, this year, they do have a lot of new faces in there. Ted, Ted Karras is starting at center. He's been the, uh, the the kind of top backup interior guy for the last couple of years. Now they have Marshall Newhouse, who just joined the team a week and a half ago. He is their uh, starting left tackle and seems like he will be for the foreseeable future, at least until uh, Isaiah Wynn is able to come off of injured reserve. So definitely some new pieces in there. And I don't think the unit as a whole is, is nearly as strong as it was last season when it was maybe the best offensive line in the NFL. But I, I do think that if the bills are going to win this game, they're going to have to uh, shut down this Patriots offense as, as best they can. They're going to have to hold them below 20 points because with how, how well the Patriots defense has been playing this season, I can't see them allowing more than more than a touchdown or two to the, to this bills team. Uh, so I think this is going to have to be a, uh, a sort of grinded out low scoring game. If, if the bills are going to have a chance to win. And I do think the bills, do have a chance to win this game. Uh, even if the Patriots win, I, I do think it'll be a relatively close game. You know, I'm glad you brought up the defense because we could talk about Tom Brady forever, Edelman, Sony Michelle, all the usual suspects, Josh Gordon, of course. But talk to us briefly about that New England defense. Everyone, again, talk about Brady for obvious reasons, but this is a very, very, very good defense. And of course, Bills fans know a lot about Stephon Gilmore, who's arguably one of the top cornerbacks in the entire NFL right now. Yeah, this this defense has just been playing out of its mind this season. Uh, we knew that the the secondary was going to be very good. They returned basically their entire secondary from last season, uh, and led by the guy you just mentioned, Stephon Gilmore, who I would say is probably the best cornerback in the in the league right now. At the very worst, maybe second behind Jalen Ramsey, but I think I, I would give him that honor as as number one cornerback in the league right now. Uh, Jason McCourty on the other side is playing very well. J.C. Jackson, their third cornerback, is is had had been a little bit less consistent than the other two, but he's also having a good season. Uh, De- Devin McCourty might be having his best season at safety. Patrick Chung's a very reliable guy in there as well. Uh, and then, but the front seven has been really the the kind of unit that's been, I guess, I don't want to say surprising, but it's been the most improved for sure. This, especially in the linebackers, they they switched to a three four uh, three four base defense this season. And they just have, it seems like they have a dozen linebackers who can play all over the field, whether it's middle linebacker on the edge. Some of them can even kind of push into defense, into defensive end. Jamie Collins came, who came back this year has been incredibly good. He's playing the best football of his career. And this is a guy who was a, 
uh, a pro bowler and a second team all pro before the Patriots traded them back in 2016. Uh, Dante Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, uh, Michael Bennett hasn't played a ton, but he's, he's made an impact in the, uh, the pass rushing snaps that he has gotten. Uh, Chase Winovich, the rookie is playing well. John Simon is a, a good versatile guy to have in there. They, they, they just have so much depth in this linebacking core and in this front seven as a whole. And, and as I mentioned, their secondary is might be the best in the entire NFL right now. They haven't a lot of touchdowns since the AFC championship game, which is absolutely remarkable. Crazy. The fact that they've been able to, to tear through all these teams. Now, obviously they haven't played a, a sort of high quality offense yet. You could say that the, the Steelers should be up there, but with the way that they've played so far this season, it looked like we might've uh, overrated them a little bit. And then obviously the Jets and, and the Dolphins both both stink, but you, you can't ask for much more from from this Patriots defense so far from a, a, a points allowed standpoint and a takeaway standpoint and a playmaking standpoint. It's they're, they're the best defense in the NFL right now, and I'm excited to see what they can kind of continue to improve or continue to achieve moving forward. Sounds kind of funny to say this, but New England already three and oh, and after this Buffalo game, if they win, they got Washington, the Giants, the Jets again on the schedule. Buffalo might be New England's biggest test over the first half of the season. Let me get a quick prediction from you. I got to put you on the spot a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, right? The uh, Even the Browns, who, who the Patriots play in week eight, I believe, um, that was kind of hyped up as one of the biggest games of the year. They haven't looked particularly good yeah. so far this year either. So that, you, this really could be their, uh, their toughest test in the first half of the season. The season gets a little bit harder uh, after week eight. They, they have to go to Philly. Uh, they, they host the Cowboys who have been really good so far. They host yeah. the Chiefs who obviously are, are probably the second or first best team in, in the AFC right now. Uh, they've got a game against Houston in there. They have, they have a couple tough ones over the second half of the season, but with how well they're playing, I've got to predict 14 and two, 13 and three at the very worst right now for this Patriots team, unless some kind of drastic injury happens that, that really changes the way that they, uh, the way that they can play on offense or defense. This this is an, a loaded Patriots team, even after the Antonio Brown things, even with the injuries that they've already had. It's it's tough to predict too many losses on this schedule for the Patriots. What about a prediction for Sunday? Let's piss off some Bills fans right now. What do you got? Prediction for Sunday. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say it's gonna be a similar, similar type of scoreline to what we've had in recent years. I'm gonna say 23-10 Patriots in this game. I, I think it's going to be one that's that's close throughout and, and probably isn't decided until the last couple minutes, but I do think the Patriots uh, end up coming away with this win. Now, are you going to be coming up to Buffalo for the game? Like, are you traveling? I will be, yeah. I'm flying up uh, Saturday afternoon. Saturday afternoon. Do you ever get wings when you're in Buffalo? <laughs> I do. Uh, the last time, I think it was the first time I went up, I had wings for every single meal over the course of that. Uh, two and a half days, which is probably not particularly healthy. And my doctor probably won't be happy with, but <laughs> it was, it was very fun in the moment. I've been, uh, I, I absolutely love the, the wings up there. So I'm very excited for that. Yeah. No doubt about that. All right. Here's what we're going to do. End up mini lightning round. Same deal as always with my sports media people. I'm just going to ask you some random questions. Not a lot of deep thought required. Whatever the first thing that pops in your mind, that'll be your answer. You good? Let's do it. All right. Favorite all-time athlete. Favorite all-time athlete, uh, Michael Jordan. All right. What's a nice, relaxing activity that you like to do for yourself that has zero to do with sports? Zero to do with sports. Uh, sitting on my couch and watching Netflix, I guess. It's kind of a basic answer, but... Yeah, that works, man. Yeah. Favorite city that you've visited? Favorite city that I've visited? Ooh. Um, New Orleans was a lot of fun. 
we went down there for the uh, Patriots Saints a couple of years ago. Uh, now, uh, probably Nashville. I, I'm a huge fan of Nashville. Okay. Who was your first celebrity childhood crush? <laughs> oh, man. The, I can't even remember. Probably the, uh, the Pink Ranger uh, from Power Rangers back in the day. <laughs> All right. <laughs> what movie have you probably rewatched more than any other? Uh, it's, it's going to be a, a, probably a three-way tie between, between, uh, or no, two-way tie between Remember the Titans and Miracle. I was a big, uh, big sports movie guy growing up and, and I still am. Okay. Name a TV game show that you think you could potentially dominate if you were on it, whether it's a current game show or something from the past. Well, I don't know if it counts as a game show, but my dad and I always thought that we would, uh, we would win the amazing race if we were ever on it. Yeah, so that's a good one. Maybe, maybe I'll get that opportunity someday. Okay. Last couple here. Let's say instead of doing this podcast with us being like 1300 miles apart right now, we're at a club. Okay. And we got our microphones and they call you up. You got to go on stage and sing some karaoke. And in this world, you're an awesome singer, man. You're the best singer in the entire bar. Okay. You grab the mic. What song are you going to rock out that everyone in the crowd is going to get on their feet? They're going to be singing along to, or just something. It doesn't have to necessarily be a rock song, but just something that you would nail that people would love. And this, and if if you're a lousy singer, just pretend you're not. What song would you do? Uh, my karaoke go-to is usually uh, Fat Bottom Girls by Queen. So I think I would have to choose that one. Okay, that's a good one. All right, here's one. This is might be harder than you think. If you had never gotten involved in sports journalism in any capacity, or let's just say you tried it out, it didn't work out for you, what do you think you may have done with your life? This entire conversation has been about sports. It seems like this is what you've always wanted to do. But if it didn't work out for you, what do you think you might be doing right now? To be honest, I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> I've, I've, some people have asked me that question before, and I really can't even fathom what I would be doing. Probably something much less exciting than I'm doing right now. Second last question here. If Twitter were to send you a note tomorrow and say, we got a new policy, you could keep all the people that follow you right now on Twitter, but the people that you follow, they're all going bye-bye. You can only keep one person. You're only allowed to follow one person on Twitter or one Twitter handle, and that's it. Only one. No one else. One Twitter handle. Who do you got? Oh man, that's a tough one. It is. Um, the first one that's coming to mind is. Well, I guess I, you could. I could kind of cheat and say some some sort of news slash like company ones. But the first person that, that comes to mind is Pete Blackburn from. Uh, I think he works at CBS Sports right now. He's a hockey guy, a Boston guy. Uh, he's one of my favorite Twitter followers. The guy is absolutely hilarious. So if it, I'm actually taking like. One personality, one person, that that might be him. Okay, last question here. You could have three dinner guests from any era, dead or alive, doesn't matter when, any point in history, three celebrities, whatever. You could have at your dinner table tonight, get some eats, a couple drinks, shoot the shit, whatever. Who do you got? Three people. Three people. Oh, man, I'm always so bad at these. Um, yeah, honestly, I, I don't know. I've, I've got nothing. I'm, I'm so bad with these ones. <laughs> All right, man. It's, it's a hard <laughs> question. I understand. It's it's tough. Some people have their kind of their their ideal sort of uh, dinner for some of mine. I don't know. I'm sure if I'm sure it's going to come to me as soon as I hang up here. But I honestly can't think of anything off the top of my head. Sorry about that. It's cool, man. Several media guests have gotten in stump before with that one. Anyway, all right, everyone out there, give Zach a follow on Twitter at Zach Cox N E S N. Of course, check out his work at N E S N dot com 
I appreciate all the New England Patriots insight and appreciate your time, man. This was a fun chat. I know you're busy. So thanks a lot, man. This was fun. Thanks for doing this. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, spend some time in Buffalo this weekend. Hi, my name is Matt Cundell, and this portion of the Moranalytics podcast is powered by my company, MattCundellVoice.com. If you need a voice for your company videos, narration, e-learning, maybe it's your radio or TV ad, or even your phone system, consider using my voice to tell your story. I'm not only a sponsor of this podcast, I'm also a regular listener, wrestling fan, and longtime supporter of the Buffalo Bills. For more, check out MattCundellVoice.com or click on the link in the show notes. All right, up next on this podcast is a full-length audio movie review of Rambo, Last Blood. It is the fifth installment of Rambo, the first since 2008. Of course, as always on this podcast, this review comes courtesy of Sean Chandler from the very popular Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. I had Sean on as a featured guest on this podcast several months ago, and he was awesome. And we struck up a little bit of a gentleman's agreement where he'd be gracious and allow us to play the audio version of a few of his video movie reviews from time to time. And in exchange, I would simply throw some plugs this way, which I'm going to be honest with you, man, that was one of the easiest sales I've ever had on this podcast since I started doing it because I already was a big Sean Chandler fan and I probably would have been doing that anyway. He's got over 135,000 subscribers on the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. That number is growing daily. And trust me, it's for good reason. Dude pumps out entertaining movie and TV content almost daily, ranging from movie reviews to trailer reactions, power ranking movie and TV franchises, including The Office. I'm always watching his videos. He's got all kinds of cool stuff. It's a great channel. So the next time you're browsing the interweb and you're on YouTube, go check it out. Again, it's the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. As for Rambo Last Blood, the official movie description reads, Vietnam War veteran John Rambo, reprised, of course, by Sylvester Stallone, tries to find some semblance of peace by raising horses on a ranch in Arizona. He's also developed a special family bond with a woman named Maria and her teenage granddaughter, Gabriella. But when a vicious Mexican cartel kidnaps Gabriella, Rambo crosses the border on a bloody and personal quest to rescue her and punish those responsible. Now, that sounds interesting. Is Rambo Last Blood any good? Well, I'll tell you what. Thanks to Sean Chandler. Again, Sean Chandler talks about YouTube channel. Let's find that out right now. After a 10-year absence from the big screen, Rambo is back with Rambo Last Blood. So let's talk about it. When a girl Rambo cares deeply about goes missing, Rambo steps back into action to bring her home. I've said it many times before on my channel, but I am a massive Sylvester Stallone fan and I absolutely love throwback action movies. So when you have a new Rambo movie, I'm always very excited. With that said, let's get started talking about the good. And the first thing I want to talk about is the treatment of the John Rambo character. And here is probably the time where we get to know him, the person, the most. In the previous films, we've of course know him as a man of action and we see him as defined by all the trauma from the past and what he's had to do but here we just get to see him somewhat at peace interacting with friends and family in which case it's 
him coming out, not the broken version of him. It's not just him relating to Troutman, his leader in war and friend through that context, but it's people that he feels at home with. Along those same lines, a lot of people like to criticize Stallone for continuing to return to his iconic characters from the past, but for me, I actually really appreciate seeing a cinematic character over the decades, whether that's seeing Rocky over 40 years or now Rambo over 35 years, I love seeing them at these different phases in life and digging into that personality at different times, where 10 years ago he was very cynical at the beginning of the film, this one he's very much at peace, and then of course you have the classic 80s trilogy of Rambo films where you explore him as the person very much still in the trauma of coming out of the Vietnam War. And I just really love it that he's doing that with these characters. This is also by far the most vulnerable that Rambo has ever been in almost all regards. Physically, he's in the most danger as he's older. He's not kind of in his prime in the way that he's dealing with things. He makes big mistakes inside of this film. He's emotionally vulnerable. And so you see him much more as a brought back down human that happens to have an amazing ability to kill people. Speaking of killing people, the second half of this movie just unloads into some absolutely vicious graphic violence. If you like hard R action movies, this one absolutely delivers the carnage and mayhem that you want of Rambo with a machete and Rambo with all kinds of other things. You can see it in the trailer, him going at it against these cartel guys. And there's sort of three reasons that this mayhem is so satisfying. The first is that we're kind of mad that we saw Rambo at peace and they're pulling him out of his peace to have to go back into action. The second is that the people that are victims inside of it are established as truly being victims. They were just dragged into this world. It's not like in number four where missionaries go off somewhere or Troutman is a soldier that goes into it. These are people just being wronged by some evil dudes. And that's the third reason. These are some very sick, twisted, evil dudes that you absolutely want to see destroyed. The movie does an excellent job of showing just the cruelty, their dehumanization of others that makes you just want them to pay. So when you get that bloodlust third act, it is fantastic. Probably the most important thing to say about this film is that it absolutely delivers what action fans want from its third act. With that said, let's move on to the mixed aspects of the film. The big one that comes to mind is, as is commonly the case with this franchise, it's tonally very different from the other films. The story is very different from the other films. It takes things in a wildly different direction, and it's almost sort of a different genre. Where the first film was a bit of a survival thriller with some action in it, the middle three films were war films, those first two sequels being kind of romanticized war, and then the fourth one being kind of a more grounded, realistic take on war. This one's more of a direct action film with a revenge bent inside of it, but it's the most straightforward action film of the entire bunch. So a lot of people will probably see the movie and say, it just doesn't feel like a Rambo movie. Other people can appreciate seeing the Rambo character in a different type of situation. It's not taking him and putting him in another war, another global conflict. It's taking that skill set and putting it on a totally different type of adventure. 
I would tend to be someone that appreciates that we got a different type of adventure from the Rambo character, but as we get into the negatives, I will have more to say on that. With that said, let's move on to the bad. And the big one that comes to mind here is that the central plot line and certain elements inside of it feel very familiar. If you wanna know exactly what this movie is like, it's like taking Taken plus Home Alone plus Rambo, plus a hard R rating, and you get Last Blood. The central plot line, as you're watching it, there's a lot of similarities to Taken, and then a whole bunch of people, ever since the trailer dropped, have been making the comparisons to a rated R Home Alone, and all of that is completely and totally fair. It's pretty well known that Stallone has been trying to do a version of this Rambo story for about 15 years, then he ended up doing the Burma story instead, and then he's been talking about doing a fifth film for about 10 years now. Well, what came out 10 years ago? Taken came out. It feels an awful lot like he went and saw Taken and he went, oh man, I gotta sit on my idea for a while. And then he waited after 10 years passed, then put out the movie that has the plot line that has a lot of similar beats to that film. And as for the Home Alone comparisons, I don't actually take them as a negative. Inside of the franchise, you can interpret that sequence very differently. It's all a callback to an iconic sequence in the original First Blood, where Rambo sets a similar set of traps in the the woods and he maims a whole bunch of police officers, tells the main one, Teasel, that I could have killed you, I could have killed all of them, and then he tells him to let it go. It's all a reference back to that, whereas with these guys, he's not letting them live. But because it's so similar to Taken, it makes it seem like the most generic of all of the Rambo films, as in a lot of ways it is just kind of a generic hard R action movie, but with this iconic action hero from sort of war films being brought into the tale. Which leads me to my biggest problem with this film is that I enjoyed it a whole lot more as a Stallone action revenge film than as a Rambo film. The the last film ended at a point in time that closed out Rambo's arc really nicely from where we saw him at the beginning of First Blood, kind of wandering as this person unsure what to do with their life after the Vietnam War. And the previous one ended at a point in time that closed that out, that he finally kind of had resolution when was dealing with his past. And so this feels tagged on. It's a much stranger place to supposedly end the Rambo saga and the franchise to tell this story after where that film ended. Likewise, all of those movies had a certain scale and size to them, whereas this one feels much more kind of B-grade, obviously a lower budget, obviously he's not going to war, which makes it feel small scale from the look of it to the size of the sequences, everything feels like this could have been a direct-to-video sequel. Now, to be clear, if this was a direct-to-video, generic Stallone action revenge film and I watched it, I would be singing its praise as this brutal, vicious film where Stallone does his much harder R version of Take It. I would be singing its praise. But as a Rambo movie, 
it veers way too much into the fan fiction category, and it just doesn't leave me on the most satisfying conclusion for the character. In closing, as an action film, this movie absolutely delivered the action, the mayhem, the carnage, the punishment that I love from these types of movies. But as a Rambo film, it felt like a very odd place to end the franchise and definitely veered into some fan fiction territory. It's a B overall. It's an 8 out of 10 on the entertainment scale. But here's the deal. If you're an action fan, you'll probably love the carnage in this one. This is not a movie for everyone. If you do not like graphic violence, if you're bored by kind of generic Taken-esque action movies, this just isn't going to be a movie for you. Thank you so much for watching it. Keep talking movies too much. All right, boys and girls, that is going to do it for another episode. Very big thank you again, Zach Cox from NESN in Boston. Great guest. Also, thanks as well, of course, to Sean Chandler from the Sean Chandler Talks About YouTube channel. Coming up next week, two fun episodes next Tuesday. I'll have Lance Lazowski of the Buffalo News on the podcast. We'll be having a full Buffalo Sabres season preview. I'll also have Aaron Quinn from Cover One on for a segment. We'll talk about the Bills-Patriots game. And then on Friday's podcast, I'm going to have popular WGRZ TV Channel 2 news anchor Mary Alice Demler. She's going to be on the podcast. Very much looking forward to that. Before I get out of here, I want to ask you, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, and I hope you do, that you'll please go ahead and subscribe to it. When you subscribe, you'll get new episodes before anyone else does. If you got an iPhone, just open up that purple app that says podcast on it. Type in Moranalytics Podcast in the search box. Hit subscribe. Bam, that's it. That's all you got to do. If you don't have an Apple, you can also find us on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, pretty much anywhere future award-winning podcasts are found. There's new episodes every Tuesday and Friday. Also, don't forget to rate and review the podcast. Again, I say it every week. It really helps me grow this podcast tremendously. And then last but not least, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Tweets. I'm constantly tweeting out podcast updates, upcoming guests, polls, promos, all kinds of other stuff. So follow me there. Thanks again for listening. I say it all the time and I mean it. I truly appreciate each and every single one of you taking time from your day to give me a listen. Very thankful. I really, really am. It's going to be a good weekend. Hopefully the Bills can pull this out. We'll find out. Have a good weekend and uh, I'll be back next Tuesday. I'll catch you on the flippity flip. Bye.